I'm Kevin Hillier. Welcome to the Legal Minefield podcast, a podcast that gives you direct access to a man with decades of experience in the legal profession. That man is John Mellier. You can contact him directly via our email address, info.thelegalminefield at gmail.com. It's that simple. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Legal Minefield podcast. John, welcome. Great to have you uh, back again. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you very much. Now, this is a subject that is near and dear to your heart this week. It is. It's in my it's in my DNA. So work injuries and workers' compensation is what I started out my career in and um, I practised it for 20 years. So um, it's very near and dear to me. Yeah, it, it, it's something that, you know, affects everyone. I'm assuming it's evolved a lot in those 20 years. It, it, it has. It, it's changed. Uh, uh, legislation's changed a number of times. The former legislation was the Accident Compensation Act, 1985, and then um, a few years ago it's been changed to the Workplace Rehabilitation and Injury Act. So it's changed again because they kept trying to amend it. The old Accident Compensation Act that kept trying to make amendments every time and every time they amended it or tweaked it, it just wasn't working. So eventually they redid it which is good. So it's been working well. Yeah. Obviously, we're majority, I guess, going to talk about this from the employee's point of view. Correct, uh, yeah. Uh, there's obviously the other the other angle of this, which is the employer's, but from the employee's point of view, what constitutes an injury at work? So a, an injury is an event that happens out of or in the course of employment. And your employment has to be a significant contributing factor. So, for instance, you know, you've had to have actually had that accident or injury happening at work. There are some precluded injuries in the legislation. So, for example, if you get a stress injury as a result of wholly or predominantly being disciplined or facing disciplinary action, which is reasonable, you are not covered. Okay. So there's certain things like that. There's special requirements for for people that have heart attacks at work. There's special tests and requirements for those type of injuries. But in general, if you've had an injury out of or in the course of your employment and employment's a significant contributing factor, you will be entitled to compensation. If, for instance, you're a, uh, an electrician, you walk, you're working in a, inside my house, you walk over to the the powerpoints over there. You grab the wrong. You're you're apprentice Sparky, and you grab the wrong power cord, and you get electrocuted, causing you an injury of some description. Yep. So if it's an apprentice uh, tradesperson, they'll be employed by the actual tradie who runs that business. I would assume. Yeah. And they they will be covered, and that is an event that they will be covered by. Okay. Now, the so, fact that you were told three times not to touch that brown cord over there, leave that alone, is that, is that uh, circumvent? So it won't circumvent the entitlement to compensation. What it would do, it'll be an issue in relation to negligence. So it'll be in relation to a duty of care. So everyone owes everyone a duty of care. Yep. Everyone's heard about the snail in the bottle test, Donahue versus Stevens, which set the law that... Everyone knows, you know, there's a duty of care owed. So employers have a duty of care they owe to their employees to keep their workplace safe. There are occupational health and safety guidelines and rules as well that they need to follow. So essentially, your employer has to make sure that your workplace is safe and that they have to, 
they've got a duty of care to keep your work, working place, working conditions safe for you to work. So if they fail in that, then they're negligent. And it's that negligence or their failure in having a proper system of work or a safe system of work that will lead to a claim for negligence, which we'll talk about in a minute. I'll okay. explain all that. So in the case of the young tradie electrician, there should have probably been, A, some training from the company or the um, trader who owns the business. There should certainly be some sort of safety or um, safety mechanism to ensure that someone doesn't touch the wrong wire or some system of work to show that they understand or tick off what they have to do. If that's not in, in place and the trader's just gone and grabbed the wires, that employer could be liable yep. or negligent. And not only liable, they could be in breach of the occupational health and safety legislation, which could give rise to a criminal offence or, or a criminal charge under the occupational health and safety legislation. So one person grabbing one thing like that could lead to several different... It could different... lead to several, several different things wow. on notifications. And if they die, well, then it, it could be um, akin to some type of um, industrial manslaughter type issue that could happen. And for the person, if it's my house, am I liable well, in any way? If, if your house, what would happen is this. The uh, claim would proceed through the employee-employer relationship and work cover would pay out. But if your house had caused, there was a specific reason that that happened because your house was not safe, then work cover or work safe could eventually try and or re try and make a claim against you as the homeowner oh, to okay. recoup some of those costs. Again, that would be an issue where you'd look to see whether you're indemnified by your house or home and contents insurance policy because normally all of us, we get some sort of public liability type um, insurance included in our home policy. So you might be covered under that. But um, there's a lot of factors to consider and go through till you get to that point. Just a small point on, on that. Should people, that's is that one thing you should go and check now? <laughs> Would you, you should, have public you liability as check. part of your yeah, you home and contents? Check. Correct. You should check that there should normally be some form of um, public liability coverage in your home and contents. So, for example, you know, if someone slips or trips. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's important. So you should check that. Yep. Well, who pays? So All right. So basically who pays? The system is like this. The employer pays. So the employer pays a premium every year to the work cover insurer. So what happens is the employer pays a premium based on the experience, the type of industry, the risk, et cetera. They pay that for staff every year. So I, I pay it as well for my employees in, in my firm. Um, everyone pays work cover. So what happens is that premium is kept and used to help fund and pay the system. So what happens is if there's a claim, you've got coverage because you pay the premium. If you have a number of claims or, or a claim, then your premium will eventually go up and that will affect your claims experience. But effectively, everyone pays a premium or employers pay a premium and that's how the system's funded. So that's who pays for it. I would also imagine that this is a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar industry. It is. It is. It's got its own industry in terms of, of um, you know, there are authorised agents who are work cover insurers who the work cover authority have authorised to handle the claims and deal with what's called claims management. 
So that's to do with the management of workers' compensation claims. And they all get paid uh, a, a fee through work cover, through the system for, um, you know, managing claims and meeting targets, et cetera. So that's how the insurance companies make their living. Then there are um, legal or panel firms that work for the work cover authority. Um, there's a whole offshoot, you know, of other providers, rehabilitation providers that get paid. There are, um, you know, physios, doctors that all, there's a whole series of, as you said, multi-million dollar industry that flows from it. So if, you do, if you're at work, you know, I'm working in the radio station I work for and I, and I, I slip and hurt myself and do my knee and whatever, so uh, is, that, is, that a, is that a normal yep, work? That's, that's a normal work injury, you'll be covered. So what would you should do is any time you have an injury in work, at work, the first thing you do is report it in the workplace. So every workplace must have a register of injuries. So you fill that in. You go off to your doctor and what you must do is make sure you see a doctor and you get examined and explain what's happened with the injury. They'll give you a work cover certificate of capacity if you're not able to work for a while or, or a month. So certificates go month by month and basically what happens is you would then um, make a claim at the workplace, fill in the claim form with the medical certificate for time off, give it to your employer, then your employer will send it into the insurance company to deal with. So what you're entitled to is you're entitled to statutory benefits. So that's your weekly payments of compensation, medical and like expenses. Then there's a statutory lump sum payment that you can apply for after your injury is permanent and um, it's not going to change or get any better or worse. And then there's the common law process to get common law damages. That's for pain and suffering, loss of enjoyment of life and loss of wages. Again, that's based on negligence and uh, a number of hurdles and gateway tests to get through. And I'll explain that to you in a minute. Yeah. So effectively, if you've, if you've in, you're injured at work, your claim's accepted, you get weekly payments up to 130 weeks. Okay. The first 13 weeks, you get 95% of your pre-injury average weekly earnings. So you get 95% of what your pre-injury average weekly earnings as calculated over the last 52 weeks. Does this work incidentally for full-time and part-time employees? Correct, it yeah, does, okay. yes, yes, yep. yes, yes. And then after 13 weeks, from 14 weeks to 130 weeks, you get 80%, drops down to 80%. This is if you can't work, you have no, what's called no current work capacity. And then after 130 weeks, it just continues on at 80%. There are, um, unfortunately, people who just become long-term injured and they can't work, ever return to work. So they're long-term long -term claims. But if in the first 13 weeks and in any other period you return to work and there's some capacity, you'll get um, your weekly payments of compensation um, less how many hours you work and that's a compensation you'll get until you return to full-time. So the, the, the key is to eventually get back to work on your feet and work full time. That's a good thing. Mm. It's a good thing to help get rehabilitated and have a rehabilitation provider appointed. So that's weekly payments of compensation. Then you're entitled to what's called reasonable medical and like expenses and services. So that's your doctor treatments, medication, physiotherapy, osteopathy, all those treatment modalities. There's also... Um, 
you know, whatever you whatever you need, x-rays, pathology, it's all covered. Yep. And that gets paid. Yep. Then there's a statutory entitlement to lump sum compensation. So there's a statutory table of names and after 12 months or more and the condition is stabilised and permanent, then you can apply for a lump sum claim for a permanent impairment to a body part or function. So the assessment of the body part or function is made under the American Medical Association Guide to the Evaluation of Permanent Impairment. So that guidebook is used by um, qualified assessors to do an assessment of someone. So, so for example, you hurt your back, they'll do an assessment, they'll work out if you've got 10% or more, whatever percentage, and then that's calculated to the table of names. There's a, there's a, there's a percentage and a figure, and then the insurance company will make you a figure, an offer. Then you can accept that offer and that's your lump sum. Okay. Then we get to the final side of the story, common law negligence. So a claim for pain and suffering, loss of enjoyment of life, loss of past wages and future wages because we say you could have worked to age 65 and you're only 40. So there's a factor for that. Now, to... Um, you be entitled to a common law claim and to issue common law proceedings is a gateway provision. And that is you've got to apply for and get a serious injury certificate. So if you get a serious injury certificate, you're then entitled to go ahead and apply for um, common law proceedings. So to get a serious injury certificate, you have to have an AMA impairment of over 30% or more which is very difficult to get, yeah. but some, some people do can achieve it because they've got very serious injuries. Depends on what's happened and the circumstances surrounding that. The other ways is a narrative test and there's court cases and precedents that have been set as to what a serious injury is defined as. And if you meet the criteria for that, you'll get a serious injury certificate granted. So you could have a scenario where okay, you've met the threshold, you've got your serious injury certificate. But the real question is, has there been negligence on the part of the employer that's caused your injury? So has there been a breach or a failure in the duty of care by the employer that's caused your accident? And that's something that needs to be considered as well. Because without negligence or failure or breach in that duty of care, you're not going to meet the threshold and complete or past the uh, gateway of in terms of ticking the box for negligence. Yeah. So effectively, the employers breached their duty of care. They've not, they've failed in their system of work. They've not had the right system in place. They've failed to have oh training of staff. They've failed to do inductions. They've failed to, um, you know, fix the broken guard on the machine or to provide training or there's no procedures in place. There's no procedure manuals, things like that. So if that happens, then they're, they're negligent. And is that final step uh, done in a court of law, in a, a normal yeah, court yeah, of law? Yes, yes, that, that's normally fought out in a court of law. Uh, but Between the person any, who's been injured and, and, and their employer? Employer, yes. Yeah, okay. So they'll sue their employer. And the work cover insurer will represent the employer and um, they'll go to court over those issues. Sometimes they don't. A lot of times they'll go into a, a conference phase where they'll try and resolve it with work cover 
because WorkCover will do an assessment and say, yes, there's negligence, we've got a serious injury here, let's try and resolve it. And they go into um, compulsory conferences, et cetera, and trying to resolve the issues. So that does happen as well. Yeah. Jeez. So effectively there, yeah, there's a lot. It's a very complicated and important system. So, um, you know, you need to really go and see a um, expert in the area. Um, plenty of um, plaintiff law firms around that do it. Um, they do the no win, no fee uh, approach, which is helpful. But, um, yeah, you should seek specific legal advice if you have an issue. Is it an area where there are a lot of frivolous um, uh, sort of claims? I've seen a lot of them in my, oh, my career. It, it does happen. You know, the um, insurance companies aren't silly. They'll, If there's a query about an injury that's happened, they've got 28 days to decide liability when a claim's submitted from the employer, if there's a query. In that 28 days, they'll get the worker examined by a doctor to actually see if there's an injury and it's happened at work. They'll do what's called a circumstance investigation. So they'll send an investigator out to go and look into the circumstances surrounding the injury, if there's witnesses, how it happened, when and why. And then you've heard of this, there'll be um, potentially someone doing surveillance on the injured worker. Yep. And, um, you know, I've had cases in the past where, you know, there was one guy who hurt his back and, you know, couldn't work and set up the common law claim and was going to court for the common law and we had the hearing and um, we caught him working at uh, Donut King, <laughs> making donuts. So, um, you know, it does happen. Working from home has become a very big part of everyone's work life of, of the last few years. Is that what, – what effect has that had on so, – So that – my view on working from home would be that if it's authorised or permitted work, it would be covered. Okay. So if you're injured, you're injured at home, you would be – you should be covered because it's permitted and authorised work. Where it's going to become an issue is when the workplace says, no, we need you back in the office, we're not going to allow it anymore and you refuse to come back and then you have an injury. That's where there's going to be an issue. Yeah. What about to and from work? Is that counted as part okay, of Okay, your... so to and from work is not included. It's called what's called a journey claim. So if there's a journey claim, it'll be a TAC. You need to make a oh, TAC okay. claim. However, if your job is, say, for example, um, you're a truck driver and you have to drive the truck from home and get on the road. So you leave home and you get on the road to go to do your trip and you have an accident, it would actually be workers' compensation. Okay. So it's, it's, it's interesting how all the various mechanisms play out, but, um, yeah, that's what would happen in those cases. Is there is there a common um, misconception about this? Is there something that people do that, uh, that, that they get wrong in, in putting their cases forward and, and trying to present their, themselves in this that you've, you've I, seen? I think the biggest problem that they, they do is um, from day one not to go to the doctor or they might go to more than one doctor and shop around or they might um, forget to report the injury when it's happened and then try and come at it later. That's an issue. That's a problem for people doing that. Yeah. You know, it's quite simply, if you've got it, if you had an injury, tell your, tell your employer and go and see your doctor. First thing you do. Just, just say on the knee. Say I did my knee at work. Mm -hmm. Boom. So I go through all that and I get a lump sum. Then I turn thirty years later. I need a knee replacement. 
Is that is that okay, long gone so, or is that are you allowed so, to go back and have a crack at it or so if you've settled your claim for common law damages for for a lump lump sum common law damages, all right, for negligence has all happened. Yep. You sign off on it, you won't be able to get any more compensation in relation to that injury or incident for weekly payments or lump sums. That's it, it's done. Even though the knee replacement could either make the knee better or make you even worse. We don't know. But that's factored into the equation when they settle your claim. Okay. What you would have to do is um, you could apply again for your medical like expenses to be covered and go back to the insurer. You could try and do that. They will most likely knock it back. But if you've had ongoing treatments throughout your life because of the knee problem, so, for example, you would envisage you would have some sort of ongoing treatment, a doctor or pain medication, and you would need, there would be proof or evidence that you need that, yeah. that's been accepted previously, then you would apply again to the insurer to have your medical and life expenses covered. What about um, uh, the, the very tricky, and I'm, I'm sure this is one that's becoming more and more, um, mental illness and mental injuries? Mental illness and mental injuries are significant. They were significant when I was working for the authority back a long time ago. They were very prevalent and big um, a few years ago as well. They are um, really a big issue. The key with that is, again, things have to have happened out of or in the course of your employment and your employment has to be a significant contributing factor. It's hard to, difficult to prove, mm. but if you've got um, scenarios where you've seen the doctor, you've reported the stress, you've reported what's happened and why, you've got other co-workers who've seen you stressed, you've got other people who see you working because of being overworked or pushed or not being checked or not being given help, you'll be covered. You'll be covered. What you won't be covered for is if you say the boss calls you in and says, look, you've been late, you know, five, six days and you're not you're not doing your work, you're answering back your supervisor, we're going to give you a warning. You walk out and go, nah, that's it, I've had it, I don't feel good, off to the doctor. That will not be covered. Okay. So any any reasonable action taken in a reasonable manner by your employer to discipline, demote, redeploy, um, that is not covered. And I, and I would imagine existing mental conditions, um, bipolar, all, all those sorts of well, areas also would, would not... No, they would be because here's the, here's the catch. The catch is if you've aggravated a pre-existing condition or illness, an aggravation can also be deemed to be an injury. Oh, okay. Yes, so that's important to understand that. Oh, that's that's quite a major. Um... So if you you aggravate, um, you know, a mental illness, then it could be deemed to be a, a, an injury. Okay. The same as if you've got, say, you've got arthritis in your leg or your, that knee. Let's use the new knee example. <laughs> you've got arthritis in it, right? You might have carried on till you're 65 with arthritis. It would have been fine, but because you've had an injury and aggravated it. That aggravation can also be seen to be an injury. 
It is a uh, it is a minefield. It is a minefield. <laughs> it's a big minefield, and you can, you know, there's no simple way. And as as we always say, this is a, a general advice of a general nature. Yeah. If you've got a specific problem, go and see a personal injury lawyer. There are uh, very there are plenty of very good personal injury lawyers in Melbourne. We're very lucky. We have a lot. Is it a hard area to work in as a lawyer? It it, it is because you're um, dealing with people's lives. You're dealing with people's futures, and it's hard too because you you've got to wait till the end to to basically see anything to see any payment or to see it through for the client. So oh. it's a hard area. Yeah, and uh, obviously it's a area that is changing, I mean, with the working from home and for all the, all the different things that we now do with as part of our, our work sort of environment, that, that changes constantly. That's constantly changing. It's constantly evolving. Um, and as I, I sort of discussed with you, um, you know, COVID, if you catch COVID in the workplace and you're seriously ill, you know, what happens? I've, I've, I've had a case where we've done that. We've, we've got a worker um, weekly payments because they were subjected to COVID in the workplace. So, you know, yeah, everything's changing and we're, we're, it's always evolving. Um, and if I'm right, the, the person that caught COVID didn't realise that that was a scenario that was open to them, so... No, they didn't because they, they were um, unfortunately a, one of the people in the first wave, yeah. which nobody, you know, everyone was sort of in panic mode in the first wave and um, they ended up in intensive care for, um, you know, months and uh, are still very ill from it. But um, unfortunately, uh, there was a co-worker who decided to go out to a party mm. when we were in lockdown All right. and came to work with it and um, gave it to him. Any final points you want to uh, make on, on this? Yeah. Uh, make sure you see your doctor when you're injured and make sure you continue to have all your treatment that you need. Because a lot of people, they get to a point where they kind of stop or they decide they've had enough treatment. And if they really need treatment and care, they should go and get it. Yeah. And that's not just physical care, it's also mental health, psychological treatment, counselling. Keep going, keep having it if you need it. Yeah, and keep your documentation and all those things so as you cover yourself with that. Correct, yeah, that's that's the biggest thing, you can, the best thing you can do for yourself. And if you have a question, by all means, uh, info.thelegalminefield at gmail.com. Let us know or jump on the Facebook page. As always, a delight to catch up with you, John. It is a minefield, but uh, you, you, you talk sense and you, you make it uh, easy to understand. Oh, thank you, Kevin. We just try and, um, you know, break it down for everyone to understand. If you have a question, by all means, send it to info.thelegalminefield at gmail.com. We'd be more than happy to hear from you. And any other comments you have, please share them on our Facebook page or send us an email. Till the next time, I'm Kevin Hillier.